have been, uh, I have been guilty, uh, not in a bad way, just guilty of saying, I can't wait for things to get back to, <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> I would love to see some normalcy, but unfortunately, I can tell you that for some of us, going back to normal would be going back to nominal. Nominal, like if you pay a nominal price for a car, you're paying way under the real value. Now, you may feel like you're getting a deal, but when you live a nominal life, you're living a life under the real value that you could be living. For some of us, if we went back to normal, you wouldn't get back to a routine, you would get back to a rut. Going back to normal would be the tension before the situation. It would be way too busy to stop and pause and think about this or that or the other to even investigate the, 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 the uh, shelves of your spiritual heart to really evaluate where am I and what are my next steps in God? What are my next steps in this marriage? Or what are my next steps in this single life? Or what are my next steps educationally? What are my next steps financially? Like, and many times when we're just in normal, we're running and doing things that at the end of the day don't really matter. We get so focused on all kinds of stuff. What God is inviting us to do is not to try and step backwards into normal, but to embrace the new season we're in. It may not look like the way I would wanted it to look like in the middle of August or the end of August after this global pandemic, but we are where we are. What does God want to say and want to reveal and want to do differently now? Because there is this reality of normal and new normal, but you and I are kind of in the mayhem in the middle, so to speak. Uh, we're in what we would call the abnormal, all right? If you're taking notes, you can write these down on the back of your worship guide. Uh, we, we, we're living in these abnormal times. We're not the first time in history to ever live in abnormal times. All throughout the Bible, there are uh, men and women, heroes of faith, uh, and, and also those that were stricken with fear that went from a normal to a new normal. Adam and Eve, they, were, they existed in the normalcy of a beautiful paradise. But their new normal became a broken world, a fallen world, a sinful world, because of that mayhem in the middle. They wanted to be God. They wanted to be king. They wanted to be as wise as God. And so they reject God's vision for their life, and they have to embrace a new normal that isn't really exciting for them. We, we move forward several hundred years, and we see the nation of Israel. A man named Jacob had 12 sons. Jacob's name was later named, changed to Israel. And those 12 sons represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And they lived in freedom for many, many years. But after, after a journey to Egypt during a famine, they lived there, they grew, they grew. And those little, a group of 70 became thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Israelites. And they became bound, they became enslaved by the Egyptians. And so the Israelites, their new normal was becoming slaves in Egypt, making brick and mortar and making the pyramids and you name it. They were, they were slaves under Pharaoh. Now, their new normal was supposed to be exodus out of that. God sends a deliverer. They're exodus out of Egypt and they walk through the wilderness for two years and they get to the precipice. They get to the edge of a new normal, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. They send a few scouts across. They do a special ops deal. They've got the, you know, night vision, green looking everything. And they're rolling over. Bravo one, are you ready? I'm ready, Charlie, Israel. And they're like, are you ready, Bartholomew one? And they're like, so they, they head over and they check it out for 40 days. 12 of them come back. 12, 10 scouts say it's an impossibility. 
Two scouts say we've got to remember the promise of God. One focused on the opportunity, the other focused on the obstacles. Both were right. And it led them to uh, not step into the promised land God intended for them. In fact, their fear of what was next led to rebellion. When we're afraid, the reason why fear is such a dangerous piece of our life is that it can lead us to do other things we wouldn't normally do, react in a, in a way that we wouldn't normally react, to allow anxiety to put, you know what, you know what um, anxiety is? It's fear that's, that's uh, found a home in your heart. When you're anxious about things, it's fear, it's, 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 it's built an apartment complex inside your heart and you're living in fear. And that can lead to rebellion because I don't know what's gonna do because I'm afraid of saying it, because I'm afraid of stepping out, because I'm afraid of change. I might rebel against what is best for me, what God has for me. And their fear led to rebellion. Their grumbling actually paused God's promises because they grumbled against leadership, because they grumbled against God's hand. God said, okay, pause, time out. Like Zach Morris on Saved by the Bell, everything pauses. And, and they, are, they, they are pausing because of the grumble. I wonder what kind of things God has for you, but because you're so critical all the time and so grumbly and mumbly and complainy all the time that God wants to, you, you, all you do is grumble about your marriage and that God has a promise to restore your marriage, but you're just grumbling about it. Grumbling can pause God's promises. They also, they focused on the wrong I am. Instead of focusing on the bigness of God, they focused on the bigness of the enemy and the bigness of the, of the problem. In fact, scripture we said last week, in fact, I'm unpacking for you a recap of what we talked about all last week. And so if, if you weren't with us last week and you want to catch up later on this week, you can go to our podcast at Timber Creek Church or you can go to timbercreekchurch.com and watch the message there or listen to it on audio. But the scripture last week, the scouts said, those, those scouts that focused on the obstacles, the people living there are powerful, stronger than we are. They look like giants. And in our own eyes, we felt as small as grasshoppers next to them. In our own eyes, in our own insecurities, in our own inadequacies. And because of that, they focused on their weaknesses and they lost eyesight to the incredible God that had delivered them from the hand of the Pharaoh and they lived in the abnormal. They were, they were stuck now in a season of abnormality there in the wilderness for 40 years years. It was a, uh, it was an Israeli quarantine. <laughs> a few months ago, we kind of went through a pseudo kind of quarantine together as a nation. Um, so what did these Israelites glean from this Israeli quarantine? And I wonder if there are some connections between what we, I think, have been gleaning from this global pandemic that we've been in. Okay. First of all, many, many years ago in their quarantine, they had to understand the serious addiction to certainty. We are addicted to wanting to know what's next. It's why our kids, you think it's just asking questions, they're addicted to certainty. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? When are we gonna get there? How long is it gonna be? Can we do this? Are we gonna be able to go? You said we'd go to hijinks, are we gonna go to hijinks? Like, like they're addicted to certainty, 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 certainty. This is what gets people in the political season we're in, which has lasted for the last, I don't know, 20 some years. The political season we're in, um, candidates promise certainty and then they can't deliver on it. And that's why politicians have issues. 
And the Israelites want certainty. God, you're going to have to show us certainly this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. But God never promises you certainty, but he always gives clarity. You can trust me. Lean not on your own understanding because sometimes things are going to be uncertain. In all your ways, submit to me, and I'll make your path straight. That's not certainty because you don't even know where that path's going to lead you. But you can trust and have clarity with God. Sometimes you may not have certainty of what that next step looks like. And they had to wrestle with that while they were in this wilderness quarantine. You know what else they had to deal with? Was the subtle yet sinister seduction of idolatry. They loved God, but they also wanted other gods. It's why the very first two of the 10 commandments have to do with thou shall have no other God before me and don't even make a graven image of another God because they dealt with the subtle yet seductive, this whole draw into idolatry. And you may not think of it as some kind of idol uh, that's made out of wood and goat hair on top. It's sports. It's the idol of comfort. It's the idol of, of certainty. It's the idol of uh, um, um, uh, uh, your relationship that's got to go a certain way and you idolize it. And when it goes wrong, you put all your trust in it. Then you wonder what God can't even be a good God because, this, but because you put all your trust in that idol. Hey, I'm gonna tell you something. Freedom can become an idol. And we're wrestling with religious freedom in this country right now. We may not feel it as strongly in the great state of Texas. But geographically across our nation, there are churches struggling with religious freedom. And we, we should fight for rights. We should debate, we should have healthy. If something has been, has been promised, if there's a law in place that, that is promised, if it is a declaration, if it's an amendment, then we ought to be able to practice that. But don't let freedom become an idol because there's all kinds of times through scripture where people were enslaved and yet they would not bow to, to the false idol. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were forced. They did not have religious freedom and they stood up against that and still said, we're not, we're not gonna bow to cultural pressure, but don't let freedom become an idol in your life. You know what else they were learning in this quarantine? They were learning the super thin veil between now and eternity. Guess what, everybody? You know what 40 is? 40 is the new 40. And 62 is the new 62. All right, 40 in the new 30. You're not gonna live longer. The poll has recently come out. Do you know 100% of people, 100% are gonna die? 100%. The poll's out. Scientifically speaking, if the data is true. And what COVID has shown us, this global pandemic, is just how much people think they're gonna live forever. Even though the percentages may be crazy, like such a small percentage, those are real veils that people have had to walk through. Just this morning at Timber Creek Coffee Co. at the Lufkin location, I got to talk with one of my friends who not only had to deal with COVID himself uh, several months ago, but whose mom died of complications from COVID and whose sister has been in the hospital for more than 90 days and is being released this week, praise God, after 90 days, but is being released. So I wanna say to you, even though that veil may have not hit close to home to you, it has with others, and there's that sensitivity and that realization that life's a vapor, everybody. It's a vapor, and it's gone. 
And we got to understand, and and the Israelites were dealing with that because that generation was going to die off over those next 40 years because they grumbled and mumbled and complained. And God said, that generation that I exodus out of Egypt, you're not coming into the promised land. And you're going to have to learn this lesson of this veil between now and eternity. But here's one of the greatest lessons that God is showing us in real time through the Israelites, and he's showing us today in 2020. And that is the saving grace of God along the journey. That even when they messed up big, even when they said, we trust you, forget it, God. We trust you, I'm gonna do my own thing. We trust you, I don't know, let's make a golden calf and let's like I have a worship party around the golden calf. <laughs> like, it's, it's crazy, their ups and downs and ups and downs and a cold shoulder to God. And so he shows his grace all along the journey, whether they deserved it or not. And so the question that I want to unpack today is, what does that kind of grace, his grace, God's grace, really look like? When we say amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, how does he distribute that grace? How is it applied? What are the, 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 the attributes of grace? Because you know that God has different kinds of grace, different means of grace. And there's so many to count. When you read the word, you begin to see them unpacked. But today, I'm just gonna give you three different ways that he distributes, that he activates grace in our lives. And we see it through the story of the, of the Israel children. So the first one is this, if you're taking notes. He shows me his power with supernatural grace with a grace that is applied that only he can do. It's not enough biting of your bottom lip. There's not a strong enough prayer you can pray. God, just in his majesty, in his goodness, and in his power, he shows you that majesty. He shows you the bigness of God, and he comes in with supernatural activity. He doesn't always show himself this way, but there are times for his supernatural grace to be applied and his power to be seen in our lives. And we see that through the story of the Israelites being exodus from Egypt into the promised land during that 40 years of wilderness. They come to a point right after they've exodus Egypt where there's no way forward. There's no way forward. They have come right up to the edge of the Red Sea. I've been there, I've been to the Red Sea. It, it, it's not like it's 16 feet. It, it's, you can't see the other side. And you see this massive body of water. And not only is it like, well, we're gonna have to learn how to swim. Let's make some, you know, get those tires out of there and let's make some flotation devices. They, they, they can't swim far enough. They're, like, they don't, they're not strong enough. And on top of that, Pharaoh's heart has been hardened again. And instead of letting them go, he's chasing them down to kill them in the desert and then bring back into slavery those that are left after the bloody massacre. And so the chariots and the horses and Pharaoh are raining down on their backside and the Red Sea is in front of them. And supernaturally, God speaks to Moses and Moses stretched out his staff. And as he stretches out the staff, the hand of God, the waters part and the Israelites walk across on dry ground. And when hundreds of thousands of them are on the other side, if not millions, God causes the water to come back down upon those chariots and those horses and those Egyptians. Now, as they're wandering in the wilderness, they got no food, they got no jobs. And what happens? They, 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 they can't grow anything in the wilderness. So they wake up one morning and out beyond their tents is this thing called 
manna in the wilderness. Now, manna literally means, when it's translated, what is it? What is it? It was just food that was growing every morning. And it was only enough for that day. And it would, it would not keep overnight. They didn't have any refrigerators, number one. Number two, it just didn't keep, okay? And so they had to rely on God every single day for their food. It's why Jesus later will teach us how to pray and say, give us this day our daily bread. It's not about what you could ever store up. Be wise, be smart, invest, but it's about trusting God every day. Because then when you start to trust all your other things, now you're idolizing those things. Those become your source of worship. Because if that goes away, if the stock market crashes, if the, if the job gets lost, if the pension gets uh, stolen, then now, okay, where is my source? Where's my source? And he gives every day supernaturally the manna in the desert. Some of you have had that. You know, your spouse cooked and you're like, oh, manna, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> you know? Anyway, not mine, not mine. I, 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 yours. There's a time where they have no water to drink and it was bitter water. And it was a little place called Merah and the bitter water wasn't Merah. And there's a little VBS song, the bitter water wasn't Merah. The bitter water was no good. But the bitter water was a better water when the bitter water was made better with wood. And what happens is Moses throws, God says, throw some wood into that water. And somehow that wood sucks up the alkaline, sucks out the bitterness, sucks it out. And, and the water is now drinkable supernaturally. God is a partnership. They're obedient. They're surrendered. They can't do anything. It doesn't even make sense to just hold your hand out and I'm going to part the water. Sometimes God is going to invite you to do something that doesn't make sense to you that's way beyond your understanding. But his supernatural activity is coming. But it's going to take a step of faith for you to kind of feel a little ridiculous. I don't know how getting up on Sundays when it's my only day off and putting the kids in kid works and me coming to church and taking an hour. I don't know how this is gonna affect me. My, my spouse keeps saying you need to come and I don't know, I'm just gonna give it a shot. And you take that step and you stretch your hand out. I'm telling you, God invites the supernatural into your life when you're willing to do some things that you may not understand. He does it, he does it. Here's another one. You wanna talk about that veil between now and eternity? God is, is punishing, he's disciplining them in the desert. He's gonna wipe them out in 40 years. And he's like, I gotta hustle on this. And so he sends them some snakes some venomous snakes. And, and the snakes start biting the Israelites, but God shows his grace. Even though he's the one that let the snakes come in, these, these, these cure for the venomous bite, there was no cure. And so God says, Moses put a bronze serpent on a pole. Now that sounds like a graven image, but, but God, is, God is showing something. He's giving them his grace. He said, if you'll just look at that bronze pole, if you look at the bronze serpent, look at the pole. And sure enough, they, they're healed and the venom is is destroyed. Now, this is one of the graces that we like to ask for most. But I want you to know there's no need for supernatural grace if there's not an impossible problem. God isn't always showing up. God, help me watch my mouth. Help me just not gossip. He's like, you don't need supernatural power. You just need to shut up. You don't need my hand to like part the Red Sea. You need to just like be quick to listen and slow to speak right? So there are seasons in our life where the supernatural grace of God shows up. We can't do anything about it. It's an impossible situation because the marriage has been so wounded, it's impossible. The, the sickness is so deep, I, I can't exercise it out. I, 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 I don't know. God is going to have to show up supernaturally. But then there are other times where he exercises a different means of grace. And number two, he teaches me his plan, with systemic grace. 
his power supernaturally, and then his plan in my life. So, so, 40 years wandering in the desert, learning lessons in this Israeli quarantine. Finally, to the point where the leader, the normal leader out of Exodus and into the wilderness, Moses, Moses dies, Moses is gone. And they're back to the boundaries where they were 40 years ago, ready to move forward. Last time, their fear and their grumbling and focusing on the wrong I am kept them from embracing the promises of God. Now, how are they gonna respond? And God speaks out to Joshua, the next leader who was one of the 12 spies 40 years ago. Now he's into his 60s, young, young guy. Now he's like 60 years old as the leader. His compadre is the, the, the dual amigos there, Joshua and Caleb. Caleb's in his 80s, and he's the only one of the generation that survived beyond Joshua that got to see the promised land because he was faithful with the promises of God. In Joshua chapter one, God begins to speak. And he says, the Lord said to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. Well, wow, that's a nice tweet. Now then, now then, do you see? Joshua is dealing with the space between normal and new normal because it's been normal to follow Moses, but Moses is dead. The new normal is coming. Joshua has to navigate, navigate the abnormal, the space between. He says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, here's what you gotta do. You and all these people, get ready. See, God's gonna do what only he can do, but there is a season of grace in our life that it's not supernatural activity of God. Let go and let God. Sometimes you gotta hang on and trust God. You don't just let go and let God and the power and the supernatural activity. You gotta like take a next step. You gotta get ready. You gotta like T.D. Jakes, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. To cross the Jordan River, I'm gonna give you every place where you set your foot. I'm not gonna set your foot there. You're gonna set your foot. I'll give it to you, but you got to like, you know, walk. Some of you are waiting for God's will in your life and he's saying, start walking. Take a next step. This isn't, this isn't the season for supernatural activity in your life. This is the season for systemic grace in your life where you take next steps. Now, the good news about taking next steps, there's this divine partnership. It is, the, it is the power of the Holy Spirit and it's an available womb of Mary that gives us Emmanuel. It is the divine breath of God who parts the Red Sea, but it's also the physical attribute of Moses taking the next step and placing his staff over the water and trusting in the middle of that. There's this system and divine partnership. And God goes on to say, as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. So it's not gonna just be your system, your steps, your work. You're not going alone. I'm with you. It's not about your power. It's gonna be my power, but we're gonna work in tandem. This last week, for months, my dad had been working on a surprise for my mom. My mom turned 60 this last week. My mom's birthday is, was Tuesday. She turned 60. My dad's birthday was Wednesday. He turned 61. We surprised my mom with the, us three siblings and our spouses by flying to Colorado a day before they did. And my dad said, I'm gonna take you to Colorado for your birthday. It's just gonna be us. And, and uh, my mom called all of us the week before because we kept this a whole secret. She's crying all of us. I love your dad and everything, but I really wish we could all be together. Like it was, she's a little emotional, turning 60 and wanted to be us. And, and my dad, like, like the husband of Hannah, like, am I not worth three sons? Am I not worth, you know, am I not good enough for you? No, you're not basically what mom said. No, you're not. 
and we had to lie through our teeth to her for weeks. I had to come up with this whole thing of, hey, Labor Day weekend, the kids are in school. We can't let them skip school. This is this, but we're all going to come Labor Day weekend. We're not. Sorry, mom, uh, because we were surprising her last week. And so they show up to the hotel and we did a big old flash mob. We all had disguises on and we did this whole flash mob. Ain't no mountain high enough. It was awesome. She was totally shocked. It was so great. I'll show you the video sometime. The next day, the next day, my dad turned 61 and for his one of his bucket lists was paragliding, paragliding. And uh, so we figured it out on a whim. We called a guy, Greg, and, and we, we took my dad paragliding. It was awesome. Now, when Greg showed up, we wanted to make sure Greg knew what was going on, okay? It was so cool, really long, hippie, gray ponytail, awesome earrings, like, I'm Greg. It wasn't like a 17 year old kid, you know, hi, this is my first time, how about you? Let's do this. Like it was, it, like, it, it, it was a real deal, okay? Like he had done it thousands and thousands and thousands of times and he was an instructor and everything. We wanted my dad to be in good hands, okay? And, and uh, so paragliding, if you don't know, I think I've got a video of it, let's, let's show that. So dad's in the front and you get the wind and he says, run Terry, run. Look at that, go, run. go, 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 go. Keep, keep running, running keep Dad. Running, keep running. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Oh, my <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right, all right. What happened was they had to step forward, catch the wind, and begin to run. Begin to run. God is not some kind of amateur. When you invite the presence of Jesus into your life to be the king, you are in tandem with the creator of the universe. If my dad can place his lives in a hand of hippie Greg, how much more could the Israelites and you today place your hands, buckle yourself in tandem? Yes, you gotta run. It looks crazy. You can't have certainty all the time, but if you'll run, you can catch the wind of the spirit in your life. He'll lift you beyond places you can never go on your own, but you gotta trust him and you gotta like go. Greg said one of the worst mistakes people make is they stop running. He said, even if you start lifting, keep moving your feet because we may sag down and you gotta hit the ground. You gotta hit the ground running. He says, as I was with Moses, come on, saddle up, tandem up. Let's do this thing. I'm gonna take you places you could not go on your own. And he invites them, be strong and courageous because you'll lead these people to inherit the land I swore. You be strong and courageous. I swore it. You didn't swear it. And I'm going to give it to you, to their ancestors, to give to them. What does systemic grace look like? It looks like you being courageous. Engaging the character trait of courage, which is the catalyst for all other virtues. 
It, 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 it gives me the power, the octane, the catalyst towards being honest and being pure and, and, and being loyal and, and, and allowing those character traits of Christ to build in me. But I got to be courageous because sometimes it's just easier to play it safe. Sometimes it's easier just to be gossipy instead of being quick to listen and so to speak. Be careful, he says, to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. So he's not only saying be courageous, now he's saying keep this book of the law always on your lips. Like my directions, work the system. Work it. Meditate on the word of God that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. And many times we want the supernatural grace of God to forgive us, and he does. And he forgives us. And forgives us. When we forgive 70 times seven, can I tell you how many, God, how many times God has forgiven you? But if at some point he's saying, hey, beyond just my supernatural grace of forgiveness, how about you begin to take next steps in the right direction? And so a systemic part of grace is this. You gotta follow the compass. Like the word of God is the moral compass for our lives, everybody. And just kind of hoping the, good, the big man upstairs kind of winks at me today is a misunderstanding, a perverted understanding of who God is. He says, I'm gonna provide power, but I also have a plan, work the plan. And you know what? You may be a good person today. You may have done some good things and you, you, you may not have hurt many people in your life that you know of, but I promise you, a good person following a bad compass will end up in the wrong place every time. Your goodness isn't good enough to lead you. And God has given us his word as the, more, his, the breath of his spirit living in us, that this Holy Spirit that guides us and teaches us and, and, and mediates for us and comforts us and counsels us. We gotta be courageous, but we also gotta follow the compass. Because sometimes you can be courageous going the exact opposite direction. God, I'm gonna courageously jump out of that marriage and into the next. And God said, you're not following my compass on that. You're following your feelings. He goes on to say, have I not commanded you? Let me just pause there. Courage isn't a suggestion, everybody. God's not saying you ought might think about that. He's saying, I'm commanding you. Stand up in the middle of adversity. Stand up in the middle of your fear. Trust, because if you know who you're connected to, if you know who you're walking in tandem with, if you know who's the real pilot here, you can be courageous, but I'm commanding you. Now, some of you need to walk out of this room courageous because you are, you, you've been the cowardly lion. You've got all God has given you, and you are just... <laughs> You're living with cowardice, not courage. So Joshua engages the courage. And he orders the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Because three days from now, you're going to cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Look at the systemic grace. Three days from now, get, pack your bags. We're going to walk. What's it going to look like? Just get your bags packed. And sure enough, they follow God and they take the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. And the priests begin to walk up to the Jordan River, another river of impossibility, and with the presence now, the presence of God is going before them. And the moment the priest begins to 
step. The, the water parts again. And they take another step. And the ark of God representing the presence of God going before them. The Israelites begin to walk across and now they've entered the new normal. It's not the end of the story. It's the beginning. But in that moment now, God is showing them how to not just rely on manna in the desert supernaturally, but now how to engage systems of trust, systems of grace. Do you know what happens when they step out in that kind of courage? In Joshua 5, when all the kings west of the Jordan, okay, the enemy forces, all along the coast, all those kings, and they heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan, their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. See, when you engage courage, trusting in a good God, the enemy gets discouraged because he knows when, when, when the people of God are courageous in him, not in themselves, but in him first, what can the enemy do to you? Nothing. He is, he is defanged. He is powerless against a courageous Christ follower because at the end of the day, I'm in tandem with him. You can't, you can't stop me. I'm in tandem with him. God's got this. Now, the next part of the systemic grace gets a little dicey, no pun intended, because at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Again? Why did he say that? Why did he say that? Because the Israelites were set apart. This was a ritual they would do to set themselves apart and because all the older Israelites died, all of these new Israelites that were in the wilderness, that were born in the wilderness, all these new military men and stuff, they had not gone through that ritual of getting close to God by consecrating themselves, by sacrificing the flesh. And so they all were going to get circumcised as, as adult males in the army. Um, man, aren't you glad that isn't starting point week five? <laughs> okay, it's just four weeks. Could you imagine, could you, I mean, I don't know. I, I, it doesn't say it in scripture, but I can, can you just imagine? Okay, the sun begins to rise on that day. The, the, the tent flaps unzip. All these men start walking out into the street there in that desert wilderness campgrounds, kind of looking at each other, but can't hardly look at each other in the eyes. They start walking to the back of the camp and there Moses, or there Joshua is and all of his compadres. <laughs> <laughs> sharpening the knives. And you know, there's always somebody that didn't get the whole message. There's always somebody that like didn't, didn't know what really is happening. They read the tweet wrong. They, they didn't get, they didn't read the whole email. They didn't read the post on Facebook. They just liked it. They just liked it, you know? And they just scrolled on and just hearted it. That's Doug in the Israelite army. Doug walks out. It's gonna be a great day today, guys. You guys ready? I'm ready. And they're like, what are you talking about, Doug? Didn't you read? Didn't you read the Facebook message? Didn't you read Messenger from Joshua two nights ago? He said, yeah. He said, let's all get together. We're going to exercise in the morning. <laughs> he didn't say exercise. One of the guys pulls Doug aside and says, here's what he said. And Doug goes, ah! <laughs> now, that's crazy. And we don't have to add that to our Christian faith. There's all kinds of chapters about that through Paul's teachings. Um, but there is a process of cutting away the flesh. 
that there is a process of your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak, and that your flesh wants control of your life. And in order to really engage the systemic grace of God, there's got to be dealing with the flesh a time or two or 12, where your flesh kind of creeps in and says, respond that way, go that way. And you have to prune, you have to, you have to circumcise the heart. You have to cut away at those things. Otherwise you're not really separated. God has forgiven you, God loves you. You're sitting in his grace, but there's also times we need to cut away the things that God's not gonna cut away. You have to cut it away. What is that? Is it that attitude? Is it that, is it, is it that, that, that secret thing that nobody knows about and, and you get fulfillment there? And, and so you go to that for that fulfillment. He's saying, cut that away, cut it away. So on the 14th day of the month, the Israelites celebrated the Passover celebrating the Exodus. They did that every year, every year, every year. And the day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. They had been eating manna for four decades. And look what the scripture says. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Canaan. There's gonna be times where you're asking for the supernatural activity of God and God is saying, work the system, plant some seed, God, save my kids. Get your kids in church. Get into grow track. God, free me from this. Go to encounter. God, what's my next steps? Where, where, what, what is it be my purpose in life? Go to starting point. Take a next step. Work the system. Look, we're tour guides. I'm, I'm more of a tour guide than I am a pastor. I, I feel like I'm called to just simply guide you on a tour of discovering who God is in your life, finding, finding freedom, of things that's holding you back, discovering the purpose that Christ has for you and your family and to truly engage that and embrace that and live in that. But you gotta, you gotta work the system. And here's our guarantee. This is like our hassle-free guarantee at Timber Creek Church. Okay, are you listening, Nack? Are you listening, Duncan and Dybal? Listen, give us a year of your life. I won't change you, but I believe God will change you from the inside out. Give us a year. Get up when you don't feel like it on Sunday. Make the decision on Saturday, not Sunday. Make the decision Saturday. We're gonna be in church on Sunday. Give us a year. God will change your life from the inside out and we will help you get there. We'll help you get there. But you gotta work the system. Now, what happens though? What happens when you're living life and God doesn't do the supernatural and you can't work the system hard enough you, you have prayed, you have read, you're following the compass, but there's an issue you've come face to face with, a wall like the city of Jericho that you cannot conquer on your own. You don't even know, you don't even know what to do, where to go, what questions to ask, because you've asked God to heal it and you've tried to make it go away and there is nothing happening. This is where we come with number three. God meets me in my pain with sufficient grace. He meets me in my problem. He meets me in the abnormal. He meets me in the mayhem in the middle where he shows up and he is wanting to say to you that when you don't have certainty and you don't have my supernatural activity and even when you've tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and done the right things, knowing what to do to work the system and be courageous and cut away the flesh and still the healing hasn't come. Still the forgiveness hasn't been reciprocated. Still, you don't have an answer. Still, there's no job. Still, God, where are you? You've got to learn this grace, this sufficient grace that he is enough. 
He is enough. He's enough. And there are times where we wish God would move. But all you have to do is be still and know he's God and I'm not. And the answer isn't coming like I wanted it to. But he's enough. And he's going to give me my daily bread. And even when I work the system, if, I don't, if the system isn't producing and I've surrendered to God and, I'm still saying my, and my child is still sick. And my husband is still addicted. And I still can't find, I just can't find life without this guilt and shame. Paul prayed many times, take a certain thing away from me, this thorn in my flesh. But he says, I learned the value that his grace is sufficient for me. If a charter jet with 12 passengers is flying from Texas to Arizona and all of a sudden there's problems in the air, the pilot in that kind of situation steps out and says, hey, we can't recover from this. We're going to crash. While we can, uh, let's get the parachutes. He pulls, pulls open a couple of the leather couches on the charter jet and he starts handing parachutes out to each passenger. He walks over to the door and like something you'd see out of Air Force One. He says, come on. They, they start lining up. They're flipping out. He says, here's your parachute. Here's how you pull it. Go. But then one by one, the passengers start saying, what's the terrain like down there? What's it look like down there? You've got what you need. Trust me. We'll deal with the terrain in a minute. Trust. Go. Jump. I, I gave you, I, I've given you what you need right now. Another one. Do you think we could maybe maneuver something different? You think maybe you could fly over like the Hudson and kind of land like that one guy in New York did that one time? He's like, listen, I know better than you do. I'm the pilot. You're the passenger. Trust me. Jump. I've given you what you need to jump, but you're going to have to jump. <laughs> Next one. Do you have a pink one? Because, you know, like, <laughs> just jump. And how, how ridiculous that sounds. But many times, all we are is in the middle of the unknown, suspended by his grace. I've given you what you need. You may not know what the terrain looks like. You're in the clouds. You don't even know what, what you're going to see when you break through the clouds. But I've given you what you need. And the truth is this. If Jesus is all I have, I have all I need. It's hard. But this is what he's trying to teach us with his grace. If I'm all you have, you have all you need. So supernatural grace when his power meets my impossible situa situation. There is systemic grace when his plan meets my courage. There is sufficient grace when my pain and my weaknesses come face to face with the sufficiency of the grace of God. And do you know those Israelites, they engage the supernatural and the systems and the sufficiency of an almighty God. And they crossed over and they defeated their enemies and they all lived happily ever. Never. <laughs> Even though God showed up in an unbelievable real way. 
although they tried real hard, the Israelites still could not follow God perfectly. When they had their chance, they failed. When they had their chance, they would turn a cold shoulder. It was this up and down, up and down, up and down. If that's how you feel, you're not alone. The whole story of the Bible is about people like you and me, up and down, trying, failing, trying, failing. And yet God, in his mercy and in his grace, gives us what we need to take one more next step. But do you know why they kept failing? Because God is teaching us an important lesson. He's teaching us an important lesson. They tried to follow the law that was written by God, by Moses from God to follow these rules and regulations. If I can just follow God and make sure I don't do this and don't do that and make sure that I, that, that I clean up and make sure that I do this in the wilderness and make sure that we, 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 we honor him there and we keep the Sabbath and we don't kill and don't steal and don't chew tobacco and we do all these things, Right? that then maybe I'll, I'll live a good enough life so God will be happy with me. But later, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, after Jesus comes and fulfills all the law, the author of Hebrews will say, the law never made anything perfect. You trying to think if I'm just a good old Christian, if I just come to church, but don't have the relationship with God, you're gonna try and live by the law and it won't make anything perfect. But, but now we have confidence in a better hope than just trying to follow a bunch of rules and regulations through which we draw near to God. Hebrews goes on to say, this new system, your systemic work is part of the plan, following the compass, being courageous, working the system, cutting away the flesh, but there's an even better system than what you could ever work. There's a new system established with a solemn oath from God to us, an oath regarding Jesus. And because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. You don't guarantee a covenant with God. Jesus guaranteed because he paid the price you couldn't pay. See, it was really cool that when there was no way forward, Moses stretched out his staff and he parts the water, the supernatural activity of God. But there's an even stronger system available. And later Jesus will say, I'm the way. I'm the way, the truth and the life. You come to me and I'll part the waters. He says, you got no food? Yeah, I provided manna in the desert and that started and stopped and started and stopped. And every day we pray to give us today's bread. But guess what? I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread. You're looking for this and that and the other. Look to me. I'll satisfy you in a way the bread never could. The bitter water and the wood was added to the water. Jesus says, you can try and add all kinds of things to your life, but he will say to us, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. I'll satisfy your thirst. <laughs> no cure for a venomous bite of death and a bronze serpent placed on a pole. Look at the serpent, look at the pole, look at that and then you'll be healed. Jesus comes with a better solution. In fact, most of us may know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever, whoever believes in him 
You don't perish, but you have everlasting life. That's John 3, 16. But just two verses earlier, Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And you may not have realized, but some of us have been lifting up other things to put our hope in and to put our focus on. And at the end of the day, maybe it helped a time or two, but those are just bronze serpents on poles. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. As he is lifted up, he draws men to himself. He'll draw you in. It's the kind of God that we serve. And see, Paul says God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's like right there. It's unwrapped. It's not a fake gift. It's not one of those gifts that you unwrap it and then there's another box and you unwrap it and it's another box. It's not like a Russian doll kind of gift and you have to get tired unwrapping it. It's unwrapped. It's available. It's right there. I'm telling you, the gift is grace. And, it, and it's activated in different ways in your life. And you, you though, you can't just see it and say, oh, thank you for your grace. You have to receive the gift of grace. You have to step out and say, okay, God, you are who you say you are. I trust you. I put my hope in you. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. And you embrace his grace. Because your salvation isn't a reward for the good things you've done. So none of us can boast about it. You're not good enough. You won't ever be good enough, but he is God enough. He is I am enough. Now, why would a loving God go through all that trouble for little old you and little old me? Because we're God's masterpiece. The majesty of those mountains as my dad stepped out into the abyss of air, majestic, but it doesn't compare to you and how he sees you. You're his masterpiece. The God of the cosmos, the God of the Milky Way, the God of the galaxies, beautiful stars and mountains and rivers and valleys and flowers unexplainable. And you are his priceless work of art. Yeah. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. Not just because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is in you. Just to be there and just be a, a painting on a wall is a masterpiece? No, 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 no. You're an active masterpiece. So we can do the good things he's planned for us. If you've been trying to get to God by the good things you do, you've gotten it backwards. You go to God to find out who you are. You work through the abnormal and the mayhem in the middle, and he's right there with you. And as you put him first and you receive his grace, then, then you get to do. Not to earn anything, not to prepare your place in heaven. He prepares your place. But you get to be a part of God's grand plan. That sounds crazy. When you think about it, God would love us so much. Sounds crazy, but for him, that is that's normal. That's normal. Would you pray with me this morning? All locations, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's do business with God today. You came in drifted. 
You came in distant. You came in looking for answers. You may not have all the answers, but you can find the one who holds the answers. And if you're here and you need to invite Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, I can tell you with certainty, we all have sinned and fallen short. That's one thing we can be certain about. The wages of sin is death. Sin separates us from God. You don't wanna be separated. And he is paid for you. A paid for a bridge to be given between us and God and it's Jesus. And if you need to invite him into your life, you would simply say, Jesus, I've drifted. Or Jesus, I, I, would you be the center of my life? I don't even know what that means yet, but I start by connecting myself to you, buckling in with you, guide me. You know better than I do. I don't know what's next, but I'm gonna begin to run with you. Thank you, Jesus, for not being mad at me today, but loving me so much you would give this moment for me to make things right with you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross for me, pain for my sin. For others of us in the room, maybe it's not doing business with God regarding salvation, but it is doing business with God, embracing his grace. And you need a supernatural miracle. God, I pray, would you give them the grace they need in that, in that impossible problem? Some of you, you, you know you're not doing what you need to be doing. You need to work the system. God, thank you for your grace. Help us to work the system. Help us to take next steps. God, we wanna engage that courage. And if you're here and you're in your pain and in the problem and you don't know up or down and it's like supernatural doesn't come and the system isn't working, God, you're enough. We lean into you, not our own understanding. You're gonna make the path straight. We can't even see the path, but we trust you. We know you. You're a good God who's had promise after promise has not been turned away. You're a God that keeps your promises. You're a God of your word. You're a God not just up in heaven, far and distant, watching us from a distance, but you are a God who would send his only son from heaven to earth. Name him Emmanuel to remind us that you are with us right now, right here in the middle of the abnormal and you're paving the way for something brand new because we are your masterpiece. And we embrace that today and we say it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.